Hi, my name is Clark, and you are listening to the ClarkCast, which I couldn't think of a better name, so I put my name in front of cast. Very original. Today's episode is covering a very sensitive topic, and that is depression and suicide. I want to iterate that I am not a licensed therapist. If you are suffering from depression or anxiety or anything that is causing you to have feelings or thoughts of self-harm, please see a therapist or contact your nearest suicide hotline. Please take care of yourselves. You matter. The context of this episode is that Neeland had called the police on me after I had left a concerning message that, in hindsight, was not a good message to leave and then fall asleep directly after. That being said, I'm grateful for the actions Neeland took to ensure my safety. I understand that this is a very sensitive topic and this may make, look, may make me look bad. I'm fine with that. I understand I'm also not a professional podcaster, so this is free-flowing from my, my noodle, my monogam. So, yeah. Enjoy. Alright, well, I am Neeland. Um, first name is Nick, but most people refer to me as Neeland online. And you are my friend. Uh, we were, at least from my perspective, we were chatting yesterday. You had a relatively stressful evening, it seemed. And we just sort of talked a little bit later into the evening. Um, and then you, we both sort of went our separate ways and seemingly went to bed. Um, then like 45 minutes to an hour later, you sent me a message saying, I'm giving up, dude. Thanks for being a solid human. Uh, which to me immediately came off as somewhat of a suicide note, given its brevity and a little bit later when it was sent. Um, so that started worrying me a little bit. I sent you a few messages trying to get in contact with you. Yeah. Didn't get any response. Um, from there, I started contacting other people to see if they can get in contact with you. Uh, starting with uh, Good Humans, which we're all a part of. And uh, one person I got in contact with said you told them, you know, good night, you know, about an hour before I received that message. Right. Pitch. Um, so that that timing was worrisome to me there. Hey, I'm going to bed. And then 45 minutes later, because, you know, I sit in bed and think about things a lot sometimes. He sent me a message saying, I'm giving up. Thanks for being a solid human. So that was worrisome to me. And from there, I sort of went into more emergency mode. Started contacting everybody, started contacting mutual friends, uh, called in a favor uh, with my lovely ex-girlfriend uh, who ended up having your old phone number, I believe, which I called, I think, 10 times overall. After the first three calls, started going straight to voicemail, uh, which is also worrisome to me. It's like, okay, your phone was potentially on, and now all of a sudden you turned it off, Yeah, found your landline number, landline goes straight to voicemail. So now I have no way to get in contact with you. All of your phones are disconnected. I have what potentially is a suicide note. And, you know, time at this point is sort of ticking in my mind. Uh, so then go to white pages with the assistance mm -hmm. of my lovely ex-girlfriend. Um, end up finding some old addresses. I think I found your parents' address. Right. And I found two potential addresses for you. Uh, called the local police departments on their non-emergency line because I can't get their emergency line from California. Um, at which point I was directed to dispatch. Uh, called in for a welfare check at both locations and gave him your description and sort of a little bit of context was what was going on. At which point the officers went down there. One of them called me, you know, gave him a little more detail. They made contact with, I believe, you and your brother, um, at which point they called me back and sort of gave me an update with what was going on. Right. Right. And during this, this process, like what was kind of going through your mind and aside from like, so you, you, you were legitimately worried that uh, there was a potential like threat on my life from my my end here and like um 
after I got that message a little bit after, you know, I was sort of listening to that video of Jocko talking about the taste of blood and, you know, a little bit when there's a threat or something along those lines, you kind of go back into work mode. Hmm. Um, after I kind of saw that message a little bit after and I wasn't getting any response, I kind of switched over into work mode in terms of abstracting a lot of things. I was like, okay, what's the potential worst case scenario? Hmm. Best case, you just went to bed, you're having a bad day. Worst case, if I ignore this, you could kill yourself. And dead friends are typically kind of a downer and a bad thing. Right. Um, so I'd like to prevent that, um, at right. which point I started taking the steps. So like, okay, if this is the worst case scenario, what do I do? How do I take and, you know, take these steps, cover all of my bases in order to make sure someone gets to you and prevents that from happening if that is the case. Right. And in the case that I was suicidal or in the moment, like, and I definitely did turn my phone off. Like I, I saw my phone ringing at like, I don't know what time it was. It was like 2.30 or, or maybe it was like 3.30 for me. I don't, I'm not sure. I don't really remember, but I, I just saw it ring and I was like, I, my phone's ringing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to bed and I just turned it off and, uh, <laughs> I did. Yeah, that was me. No, yeah, I, I understand that now, but and I kind of made the assumption that you had, I know, I know who you, kind of got the, the the phone number from. Like I just made that assumption too, and I was like, it's, it's pretty, uh, yeah. So like you said, the, I. I was having a. I think we were all having a pretty bad day. Um, to be frank, maybe, maybe not so much in, in other degrees. Like I, I had a friend who, we actually had this this conversation earlier, like last night. I kind of told you about my friend who was like, "Fuck cops, fuck the police." Mm-hmm. They like that conversation was was very frustrating for me because i was like well you know the police police officers are human and then kind of like i I go to bed and i wake up and there's a police officer right right in front of my bedroom door (laughs) so and uh i definitely think you made the right call in this situation where you feel like there's potential for your friend to hurt themselves and you make the effort to reach out to the police and ask for a welfare check. And for those who don't like know what a welfare check is, it's not like an actual check, like a financial check, which was what I thought it was. Like as soon as my roommate said, like the, the police came to do a welfare check on me, but like, they they specifically asked me to contact a suicide help helpline and they kind of mentioned that they they had to confirm that I wasn't suicidal and that there was no like self-harm going which I had no plans of of self-harm that that night but I definitely understand like why you would where you get that idea because you get a, the last message you get is I'm giving up dude thanks for being a good human that's kind of fatalistic yeah thanks for being I've a... seen suicide notes that are shorter and it's like hey thanks and you know that's the last message yeah and uh, on Pidge's side so I, I messaged Pidge around the same time let me see when I, when I sent him the message it was like 1:55 a.m. and the message I sent you is around. Approximately 1:47 a.m. 
Yeah. So around 2:47 a.m. Yeah. So I guess it was a little. It was a lot later, huh? Yeah. No, I yeah. was talking to Paige, and I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pissed. I was having a really frustrating evening, and I was pretty angry. So I definitely am suffering from depression. Like that's. I don't think that that's hidden. I think that's pretty common knowledge. I think I showcased that. Um, and in the past, I've definitely shown like not being exactly the most stable human being. I don't feel like there's really anything wrong with that in terms of like owning up to it. No, not at all. Yeah, it's. But in this case, like I I like, I, I told him I was like I give the fuck up. I don't want this shit anymore. Like specifically quoting, I don't want to pretend my like like my life is okay anymore. It's fucking not like almost verbatim. And then uh, you know I sent you that message and I wake up at I think it was like 3:55 with the officer at my door and you know my roommate my roommate next door was woken up. He didn't he didn't say anything. He he didn't say anything until I confronted him about it and. The other roommate was like about ready to go to bed because he's he's kind of a late. He goes to bed usually like at 5 a.m., 4 a.m. in the morning, and I I haven't gone to sleep. I haven't gone back to bed since I, I've taken like a small nap. I maybe got like 15 more minutes of sleep, but like we're running off about an hour and a half so far. But I think it's. I don't know, the experience was really frustrating to me. Like, in the moment, I was like, how the fuck did I get myself into this? Like, wh what the hell did I do? And my default is to kind of beat myself up and mm. attack myself, which is, like, extremely unhealthy. And then I know a lot of other people's default is to jump in and blame blame their helper, blame their friend, blame the person who cares. And I understood, like, the, the situation itself was what was frustrating. And I, I did my best to kind of, like, not attack myself. And That's good. Yeah, so you reaching out to everyone, <laughs> like, it was, like, super embarrassing for me. <laughs> But I'm not like I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I think it was really helpful that you did that because it it caused my my best friend from Canada to reach out to me today, and he kind of opened up to me about his life. And my brother called me at I, I told you this like because while this was ongoing, while like when I turned my phone back on, you're like you kept like set messaging me like motherfucker. I see your phone's on. Message me, message me, you son of a bitch. And, uh, like, during that time, I was on the phone with my brother, actually, and I talked with him for, like, 45 minutes, as well as the officers that were at his house. And, like, I had a... a he, he confronted my depression right there and then, and kind of... Because, you know, I, I, I kind of was... Like, full disclosure, like, there there were, like, suicidal thoughts. There There was, like... Yeah, in like four years from now, I think I'm, mm -hmm. I think I'm done, and those thoughts are kind of pervasive, and they're they always linger, they're always there, 
and I had to kind of explain that to him and yeah. Did it help talking to your brother? It does. It does. It didn't. And it didn't. It's a, it was a lesson of like, Hey, you're not really good at communicating. You're not really good at expressing yourself. You feel like you are it, 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 noticing that you don't see value in yourself to the point of like that's the depression talking. That's that's your lack of self worth. That's your mm-hmm. I'm not gonna say self loathing. That's you kind of not giving permanence to your existence. That's you not like saying not saying that you matter. It's kind of like you don't want to bother people. Yeah, I get that. I tend to be the same way when I get all depressed and so Yeah. I I personally tend to withdraw and just not talk to anyone. Yeah. No, 100% the same. Like in It's hard to it's hard to reach out when you're hurting. It's hard to reach out. It's hard to say, "Hey, I'm I'm really in pain right now and I don't know how to kind of overcome this in the moment." Mm-hmm. And uh I sent you that video or it was really just Duncan Trussell's podcast, the Duncan Trussell Family Hour, I believe it's called. Yep, uh, I listened to it. Yeah, he uh, he has a very unique perspective on depression because he himself kind of suffers through it. And one of his uh, the the video I I kind of shared with you was was pretty inspiring to me, and it just kind of got me thinking about this: of why is it like so hard to kind of why is it so hard for us to share? ourselves why is it so hard for us to kind of dig in deep and ask why am i feeling this way and instead of like sitting on my ass and just like playing video games all day and feeling sorry for myself or beating myself up personally for me just like you're you're being stupid right now and you're an idiot and then just ruminating and having those thoughts Mm -hmm. kind of go through it seems like the cause of that is twofold. One side is more of a cultural thing where showing any sign of vulnerability, especially as a man, is typically seen as a negative thing. It's frowned upon. You're supposed to be tough. You're supposed to be able to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. Right. And second to that would be um, the thought escapes me at the moment. That's always great when you have this train of thought that is good. Completely cool. Well, let's let's go, let's let's explore that train of thought. Let's let's go back to it. So, if the first one is like it's a societal norm. Yeah, men men generally are not supposed to kind of go through their feelings. Like in the case of situations where a man gets abused by his partner, like another man may say like macho the whole macho culture, like uh, which I, I think is to a lesser degree here in the United States now, but it used to be a bigger problem. It's relatively still pervasive for men not to embrace their feelings or their emotions, especially in the the more rural areas of the United States. But that is definitely true. If a man gets slapped by his girlfriend, people will just kind of laugh and make fun of him. It's like, 
she broke my trust. She hit me. And it's not that mm. she hurt me, like physically. She really broke my trust and kind of ripped me apart that way. And I don't know how to express that because I've never been taught. And it's not something men are taught to do. We're taught to kind of take those feelings and those emotions and kind of just shove them deep inside to the point where we are we are reactionary and kind of petulant. Like if you take a look at like certain political individuals, like very much the case, I think. Just not self-aware. That is certainly true. Uh, seems like, at least in school or in some way, having a focus or a class on communication and how to effectively communicate your ideas and talk to someone, maybe. Yeah. And did your second point, did it have to do with kind of the uh, the rumination or the, the self-defeating thoughts? Um, that was exactly it. Yeah, it's that when you're feeling shitty for whatever reason, your body is like, hey, let's do more things that makes me feel even shittier. You know, I'm really fat today. Let me just go eat some donuts. Let me go. Let me go eat some nice fast food. That'll make me feel better. And then after today, then I'll really get on track. Right. It's always just one more donut, one more meal, just a little more. Yeah. You know, I've earned this time to play video games and procrastinate. Right. And then that's the thing that is the depressing the the action of depression. That's the thing that's keeping you in depression. Because you're not making any changes. You're just repeating the same patterns that are uh, hedonistic. Exactly. One of the things that at least when I get real down and kind of depressed that helps me um, is sort of this military concept of violence of action. Right. Um, so when I'm depressed and I recognize that, it's like, okay, something needs to fucking change and now. I typically go back to my roots when I was working with PD as a kid. Because I worked with them for approximately five to six years. And I'm still affiliated to them to some extent. Um, I buzz cut my hair. I get clean shaven. I take a shower. I go for a run and start working out. I go to my kitchen and I grab all of my, you know, junk food and bullshit foods. Literally just throw them in the trash. Throw that trash in the trash. And I go through all of those steps to try to create a large enough change, create enough sort of friction with those bad habits and those, you know, bad yeah. behaviors to where it's harder for me to do them. I uninstall all the games on my computer. I get rid of Steam. I put, you know, Fracas of Steam doesn't recognize my computer anymore, so I have to go through like three different identifications and verifications to get back on it. You know, all of those steps. I like that. And it helps somewhat. Yeah. Oh, it and also filtering the content that I get. So instead of listening to just, you know, bullshit music or watching video game Let's Plays and stuff like that, I go towards, you know, Jocko Podcast right. or, you know, audiobooks, stuff. I like that. Um, I, I've kind of, I'm going to have to agree with you on kind of moving towards more things that are beneficial, kind of health food media, as opposed to the junk food, like watching someone play the same video game for the 11th time may not be the best use of your time, especially if you're trying to make yourself a little bit happier. Because um, I think, uh, especially with, with ADHD, which I, I personally suffer from or maybe not suffer is the right word i i have and uh one of the things you kind of have to do is watch your dopamine levels because people with adhd tend to go towards things that are kind of easier as their as our attention kind of wanders and we're not really able to maintain 
consistent trains of thought at all times as we kind of look at another shiny object as our train kind of gets derailed and crashes then jumps on another track jumps on another track and in the case of like making yourself or giving yourself something that makes that kind of builds up your self-worth or makes you kind of feel a little bit happier about yourself and i'm not sure if this is the case with everyone but specifically for me um when i finish something that i feel is productive i feel a lot better than if i'm playing a video game or if i'm watching a movie or if i'm uh you know pornography or or any of those kind of junk food especially junk food like if i cook myself a healthy meal i feel a lot better throughout the day like i feel a lot better if i go outside for like a 10 minute walk and just kind of think and meditate on what do i need to do today like what is my focus and how i'm going to how am i going to get this done and then trying to actually finish the thing as long as i progress on it i'm i'm able to kind of feel a little little happy you know yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. The trick for me, at least, is trying to get over that initial sort of hump of like, hey, I have to put in a lot of effort to do this good thing to feel really good, as opposed to the really quick and easy thing. Oh, let's go play some Monster Hunter. That'll make me feel good when I beat up on some monsters for, you know. Yeah. 100%. Oh, Monster Hunter is fun every once in a while, but I think, as Joe Rogan kind of was talking about this with uh, Duncan, by the way, in the, one of his uh, podcast episodes, uh the Joe Rogan experience which kind of allude to that. It's, 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 there's, there's nothing wrong with having like junk food or like garbage, like every once in a while, it's kind of making it a habit that tends to like make you fat or unhealthy. And I think that works the same way with mental health. That is definitely true. I agree 100%. Yeah. And in the case of uh, depression and suicide and in the cases like that, they're, they're kind of like moving back to the social norms. There are a lot of things out there like uh, you hear, like with the case of Robin Williams' death, um, when he, he ended his life, like every beloved man, I, everybody really missed, misses him. Um, and I, I don't want to kind of dig up necromance his his uh his funeral, but for those who remember him, he was a a very well known actor, very uh very kind hearted man who suffered from mental illness. And one of the things that was controversial, which should be controversial, which we should be against, is the fact that when you call someone selfish for taking their own life. When you call someone selfish because they're, they're, they're in torment, they're in pain. And like, sure, they, they left people behind, but I don't think they did it without considering that. It should be easier to get help than it is. Um, something that as a medical professional is extraordinarily frustrating for me is people who have suicidal ideations, they call a hotline, right. say, hey, what's your name? Hey, it's good to meet you. And they talk about their suicidal ideations, say, hey, yeah, I really would like to kill myself today. And blah, blah, blah. And immediately they get a hold placed on them. They're placed on a 72-hour psychiatric hold and they're driven off the EPS. And when in this specific case, at least in a lot of the cases I've experienced, 
they really don't need to be. They need to go talk to a psychiatrist or something like that. EPS is a very extreme place to take that person. Um, yeah. And I'll pr probably extrapolate upon EPS because a lot of people may not know what that is. Yeah, please um, do. So one of the things someone can be placed on is called a 5150 hold. That is a 72-hour psychiatric hold for a person who is a danger to themselves, other, or gravely disabled. It's for people who are actively trying to kill themselves, actively trying to kill someone else, or actively, you know, no longer able to care for themselves. Say they're bedridden, they're covered in piss and shit, and, you know, they got bed sores everywhere, and they can no longer feed themselves or bathe themselves or care for themselves. Um, when they are placed on that hold, they're taken to EPS, which is Emergency Psychiatric Services, um, which in my county is located at one of the main hospitals. Um, they go in there as a locked facility. It's a psych facility. And you're basically stuck in a little holding tank with a bunch of other psych patients um, waiting to talk to a psychiatrist or a psychologist before either getting released, held for longer, or placed into a psychiatric facility. Having, uh, Go ahead. It's just a very extreme place to take someone when one of the resources they need is, you know, just talking to someone about their depression or talking to someone about their suicidal ideations and getting, you know, more professional help as opposed to immediately just grabbing them and tossing them in there. This is the, the psychiatric area of the hospital. Um, from my understanding, it's a separate facility, okay. but it's akin to that. Yeah. So like I've, and, I've been to state hospitals before, um, which are drastically different where you have to actually threaten or commit harm to someone else or yourself or be a danger to be in those facilities. Uh, what's, is, is there kind of a similarity between an EPS and a state hospital or a psychiatric ward itself? So 5150 holds are kind of abused to be frank. So in order to, I can go get the certification to write a 5150 hold. Anyone can, right? You go to a place, you get the certification and they don't even really need to have it on you. So once that hold is written, people don't understand sort of the implications of that. And you'll often see CNAs, which are um, certified nursing assistants, um, LVNs, which are licensed vocational nurses, and a lot of the lower tier medical professionals who are capable of placing people on holds, or at least some of them, they put them on, put people on holds for stupid fucking reasons. And you have to drag these innocent people who should not be in the situation off to an emergency psychiatric facility where it may do more harm than good, especially in the instances of like minors, for example. Um, which go to another specialized facility. And like I've, one of the first calls I ran as an EMT was for like this 80 plus year old woman. Her daughter just died um, and she was grieving. Her bedmate in the same room started making fun of her and harassing her. She picked up a small rubber snow globe, like to her left that was on her bench and sort of lobbed it in the general direction of her bedmate. Okay. I had to go in there they placed her on a hold for being a danger to others for attempting to, you know, harm her bedmate who was making fun of her after her daughter died. I had to go in there and I legally cannot refuse to do this and say, Hey ma'am, you know, I know this is a shitty situation, but I now have to grab you, put you on my gurney and take you down to a locked psychiatric facility to be evaluated. Mm. It, that is just a completely inappropriate and disappropriate or disproportionate response to sort of that behavior. Right. Right. So, just because she she performed a would you say like a small act of violence she she was kind of forced into the situation where she was probably heavily medicated and kind of tied up and put into this area this holding area 
Uh, to my knowledge, she's typically not tied up. They don't restrain oh. you unless they absolutely have to. Gotcha. Um, if a patient is violent, which has been in the instance in the past, you know, I get people trying to flail all around, a lot of people trying to pull their pants down and shit on the floor. Um, we have a special place for them. It's a little locked area in a sort of padded area with restraints on it and where they go and they hang out in there until they calm down and potentially are sedated before getting sent out into the general population. Hmm. Um, but the exact sort of mechanics of how that works isn't really my forte. I kind of more just go there and drop them off. Gotcha. Yeah. And okay. That's a, that's a terrifying thought that if I were in the mood of harming myself last night, I may have been in one of these facilities. Yeah. And that was one thing that made me not slightly hesitant to call PD, but I have again, worked with them for five years and have, been through the training for 50 and 50s and all of that right. typically with law enforcement they have to observe the behavior um so if you tell them specifically yes i want to kill myself and i have a plan and a weapon to do so uh, they will place you on a hold right um and other things you know of that nature that would also under, fall under 5150 hmm. otherwise typically they don't right. like i had another little old lady who was trying to slice her wrist with butter knives because she was so depressed she was in a facility and she was trying to escape or kill herself in any way possible they had to control her medications. She's trying to stab herself with safety scissors and slice her wrist open with butter knives and other kitchen utensils that she can get her hands on. Um, or like I had to deal with a 14 year old girl who called a suicide hotline looking for help and they put her on a 5150 hold. Uh, so that's why I always typically recommend anonymous suicide hotlines if possible. Yeah. What man, that's, that's, that's insane. Like specifically, like uh, the, the officer who, my, who went to my brother's house and actually talked to me on the phone was the one who, who recommended some suicide hotline. And he gave me a number and he may even repeat the number back. I don't remember it because I was just kind of like repeating it because I was like, I want to go back to sleep. But <clears throat> it was I, that's scary to know. Like if you call a suicide hotline, there is potential for you to be locked up. I, I didn't even know that was a thing. It's uncommon, but there is a potential for it, which is why I recommend anonymous suicide hotlines unless you are like actively like, hey, I am legitimately thinking about killing myself. I have a weapon and I am seriously thinking about to do it. I am on the bridge. I am on the ledge. I'm about to do this. Someone help me. Then they'll call the one where you give them all your information in your location so we can come. In. Right. Jeez. I, uh, I've been through something similar like what you went through last night or I guess this morning with my old roommate in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, when I was a shift manager at a Wendy's, I, I got a phone call from my roommate when I was on my break and he was like, I just cut myself. And that was, that was the message I had from him. And like he, he had been drinking and I had, I called my manager up and I was like, Hey, I have to go. I think my roommate's trying to kill himself. So I was, I was like so angry and frustrated at that point. And at this point in my life, I, I definitely was not as mature as, as I'd like to think I am now. Or like my anger was completely directed towards him. I was like, I, don't know what's going on with you right now and <clears throat> i was like freaking out and when i get there he's fine 
He's awake. He's like, oh, hey, how's it going? And I was like, what the hell, man? I thought you were going to kill yourself. Like, what? What happened? And he's like, oh, I was going to hurt myself, but then uh, I, I got a little bit of blood on the floor and I just couldn't do it. And it was just, you know, it's it's frustrating. It's frustrating to be put in that, uh, that predicament. The face of suicide and depression is weird. Uh, some people break down and cry when they talk about it. Some people are just sort of melancholy. Other people just have a perfectly straight face and other people are, you know, happy and chipper and put on a happy face. It is so fucking weird. Yeah. You have a grown woman look you dead in the eyes and say, hey, I want to kill myself. Help me die. What What can you give me any medication? What can you do to help kill me? It, it was such a deadpan tone of voice. It's like, oh, yeah. All right. All right. I see what we're dealing with here. I think uh, the the point I'm trying to get at is when you, and not to dismiss what you just said, like when you are kind of facing someone who may actually be depressed, or and then there are times where the person isn't actually, they're trying to get attention in some way, shape, or form, mm -hmm. which could be a cry for help. I don't think we should dismiss that at all. I don't think we yeah. should we should say, hey, this person's just trying to get attention. I this person's kind of, I think that's a very unhealthy way to look at things, and I'm not suggesting that at all or or one piece, or like mm -hmm. one bit. What I'm trying to say is that, in in his case, like, or in my case, like when you lack the maturity to approach it, like this is something that you should probably learn, and you having this. Uh, this, this background, you know, we're working in ambulances and kind of helping people who have these psychiatric issues. Um, like, what would you recommend? Like, this empathy does not come easy for most people. Uh, that is a good question that I don't have a good answer to. Um, other than sort of just get out there and live and try to help people. Um, talk to people when they're feeling shitty. I mean, I don't really have any social skills. The only reason I'm able to handle it decently well at this point is because I detach really well now after doing it for so many years. Like I, I wasn't like stressed out. I wasn't when I was trying to contact you and all that, none of that sort of emotional weight hit me until after you sent me that message and then like 20 minutes later, a little bit of the adrenaline wore off and then it all hit me and I got exhausted. But like in the moment I was really detached from the situation, I guess you could say in sort of in work mode. Um, but in terms of like actually being able to empathize with people, there's no real good way I know of to do that other than talking with people. Um, podcasts like Jocko podcast is a good example to try yeah. to listen to biographies and stuff like that and letters from people. Um, where they do talk about these subjects. And uh, yeah, yeah, books, biographies, nonfiction, stuff that handles the subject and talks about the subject and also talking to people about it. I agree. And there's also that stigma that mental illness isn't real. Or that a lot of people will say, oh, just stop. 
kind of not really understanding that there's a lot of people suffering from depression would love to like or anxiety we'd love to kind of just stop and unfortunately like our, our yeah. mental patterns are or as they're called i think not heuristics which those are kind of like our our patterns to instantly kind of notice something and figure it out but who we are as a core is not something you can just untangle and fix in a single night you can't change who you are inherently you kind of can not entirely because your experiences kind of make you as well as your your genetic makeup and it's not like if you are sad for no reason or if you're kind of feeling nothing you're doing you're not really enjoying anything you're you're just kind of feeling numb you're probably depressed is the anhedonia, which is that that kind of feeling of numbness, where you're like the things you do don't really bring you that joy. I don't know. Like, what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, like you said, like the 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 recommendation of kind of looking at podcasts is great. It, the recommendation of kind of reviewing other people other people's lives or just kind of talking to people who suffer from mental illness is wonderful. I th- I would even, I would just try to really understand that you, if you personally don't believe that mental illness is real, maybe you should talk to people who have mental illnesses and try to understand what they're going through on a day-to-day basis. Maybe you should talk to someone with bipolar. Maybe you should talk to someone with schizophrenia Maybe you should talk to someone with autism. Maybe you should talk to someone with ADHD. Maybe you should talk to someone with high high anxiety or obsessive compulsive disorder. And I'm talking about actual clinical obsessive disorder, compulsive disorder, where they have to do these rituals and they are compelled to perform these rituals and they can't not perform these rituals. And if they don't perform these rituals, like the anxiety kind of drives them mad, like kind of getting some empathy there yeah mental illness is a really 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 real thing and it seems to be shifting recently now that sort of psychology has left the realm of pseudoscience where it's sort of been over the past you know 40 50 years something like that when it was still sort of an infancy and now moved more into like actually using empirical data and actually can back up a lot of their claims now with not just observations but with actual statistics and meta-analyses and actually like, hey, these hormones affect X, Y, and Z. And here's, you know, the neurocognitive basis of right. these specific symptoms. Moving, moving yeah. away from Freud, moving towards B.F. Skinner with cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. Yeah. So stuff that actually, you know, has a definitive basis and we know like, hey, you know, X and Y causes Z as opposed to just sort of observing and assuming. I think that's a that's a really good point. My hope is, um, I don't know. I I hope, I hope in one one way, shape, or form, especially like, I don't know what I'm gonna do with this recording. I don't even know if I'm gonna like, I don't know if I'm gonna publish this like online to the public. I I might just share this with like family and loved ones, but mm-hmm. I, in the case of like what happened, like this morning. I'm like super embarrassed and I think most people would probably feel the same way. Like 
kind of weak, like exposed, like your weakness has been shown. And so many people know that you have this weakness and that this thing kind of happened to you or Mm -hmm. it's hard. It's, it's, it's a scary thing. Yeah. And I don't mean to put you in a vulnerable position, man, but I, it's like, I want to help. But at the same time, I get how that can be sort of a negative side effect. Yeah, it's <clears throat> it's it's interesting, you know. It's kind of just like exploring it, and that's not it's not healthy. I don't think to to kind of say it's kind of like wanting to put it under the rug and just pretend it never happened. Mm-hmm. kind of a way to avoid those feelings of shame. Like I think Brene Brown kind of does really good research on shame and kind of embracing, Hey, I am, I'm feeling a lot of shame right here. And there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with the feeling of shame, but kind of avoiding it. There is like, if you avoid like, and in case of men, like men tend to avoid shame 100% with their, manly men ego as we were talking about earlier but in the case of this it's like if you are if you are suffering from something severe um i understand like it it, it might be hard and you might feel shame behind it like i'm ashamed of (laughs) a lot i don't know yeah i'm I'm, I'm just kind of glad i have this uh support group in my life Happy to help you, buddy. Yeah, well, it's yeah. I appreciate you, man. You're you're one of the most wholesome people I know. Like, honestly, and I, I've gotten really lucky with the friends in my life, <clears throat> especially since I moved here to Arizona. Um, things have really improved for the better. Um, I don't know. Like, I think you remember her. Like, how, how much worse I was like a year and a half ago uh, to two years ago. Where I was like super edgy and extremely depressed and not as wholesome as I'm trying to be now. Just kind of like argumentative. And that, that, that part of me is still there and I think it always will be, but it takes time to heal. That is certainly true. Yeah. One thing that did kind of frustrate myself and that I do feel bad about last night though is it took me 27 fucking minutes after I got your address to call PD and get both units en route to the addresses. It should have been so much shorter, and I kind of regret not doing it faster. I ended up getting... I was talking with people trying to get other contact info and other people on Discord and all that, trying to get some more info and see if we can get some people to actually go out there and contact you. And in doing so, I ended up delaying my calling of PD. And for that, I, I regret that. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, have you sought help in the past, professional? Uh, yeah, yeah, actually. Um, I when I was in Canada, my parents took me to a therapist, and I was already on Ritalin and Wellbutrin at the time, and uh, I was like super depressed living in Canada 
for my first first year like I did not fit in and I was kind of a uncontained ADHD monster because that was the time I stopped taking my medication mm. and kids just thought I was insane they thought I was like crazy which yeah sure I'm a little I'm on the spectrum but it's just I was I was at the point where my my mom just started taking me to therapy because I would fall asleep in class. I would just check out, and he put me on. I don't I don't remember if it was like it was some some antidepressant. I think maybe Allegra. I think Allegra might be a uh, anti-inflammatory or an antihistamine. I don't I don't remember. It was something that something that started with an A, it wasn't, yeah. Allegra is indeed an antihistamine. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember what it was, but I was on an antidepressant, and I was going to therapy, and I was a shitty teenager who had no idea what he was doing, what he was talking about, and throughout my life, I've been off and on therapy. Uh, having seen Mormon therapists, which I do not recommend, back when I was religious, because they some of them believe in harmful practices that the APA would mm -hmm. be would gasp at. Uh, I would recommend working or getting a therapist who uh, follows the APA standards and code of ethics. But uh, so back before I you know got involved with DMS and all that, I was really into debating religion and all that, and sort of got involved with some projects relating to secular therapy and uh, things of that nature. Right. So there's some different uh, resources available for people who are interested in that, such as recoveringfromreligion.org, um, and also the Secular Therapy Project at seculartherapy.org um, has, or will connect you with a therapist that is specifically sort of looking for that. They are a secular therapist that does all the APA stuff, as opposed to the more religious-oriented, you know, pray-it-away type of therapist that you might right. find more in the central United States. Right, man, it's, I'm not going to poo-poo on anyone's religion, but it's, some people don't know what they're doing, and uh, my preference is always going to, I'll always recommend getting an evidence-based therapist who either performs cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavioral therapy, CBT mm -hmm. slash DBT, uh, depending on your mental illness, like if you have obsessive compulsive disorder, dialectical behavioral therapy is better, if you have depression, cognitive behavioral therapy i would probably lean more towards with the thought record where you kind of write down what what i'm what am i kind of thinking right now you can actually google like uh cognitive behavioral therapy thought record and or just do like uh, maybe any search engine will work and you can find like tons of different uh examples of thought records where you kind of say this is the thought that is kind of pervasive today this is what i'm ruminating on and you kind of go through like, why am I thinking this? Is this reality? What is the actual reality? How do I feel after I reviewed the reality? And it's just kind of getting these patterns set in, building these patterns up, ways to kind of pull yourself out of these thinking processes. Uh, just kind of good activities like that. Um, if, if you kind of want to go that route, like I kind of did for a while and then fell off the wagon. I think Kim actually posted something about that. 
like she posted almost a though that exact sort of set of questions in a format there yeah that's awesome like kim's a mutual friend of ours um let's see uh yeah it's it's good to uh you know, thought records are especially good for anxiety they're especially good for for uh depression but they're not like a cure at all it's just kind mm -hmm. of like a practice it's it's a way of meditating on paper um yeah and meditation too is something that we don't really do too much of like everybody knows how to meditate in some way shape or form but i think since we're always so busy or looking at screens or having some sort of dopamine um injection in front of us or next to us that we just don't really take the time to close our eyes and or op keep them open or whatever and just breathe and think it really does help. It's something that I've done for a long time and I didn't know I was meditating until I sort of looked up exactly how to do it and all that. And basically all it is is just sitting and shutting up and not looking at anything and just thinking about stuff for a while. You don't need to sit there and, you know, legs crossed and hum yeah. or anything like that. It's really just being quiet and contemplating. Yeah. And you, and you kind of like, you want to get to the point where you can think about only your breathing. Like if you can just focus on one thing or maybe just let your mind wander if you want just don't kind of like get that point of control where you get stressed out and you're like i'm tired of my mind focusing on pink elephants with purple pajamas like mm -hmm. yeah i guess uh midnight gospel which i i'm already on the, i've already mentioned duncan trussell like nine thousand times so let's say it one more time uh it's a show by the the creators of adventure time and uh, it's essentially a podcast, but there's one episode where he there's they essentially tell you how like meditation itself works. And if you've prayed before, if you have kind of talked to some form of deity, that's a form of meditation. Mm -hmm. Like there, there's more than one one path to to kind of do it. Animation's gotten deep recently with freaking Midnight Gospel and Bojack Horseman and all that. Yeah. Well, we're in a we're in an existential crisis worldwide. People have become self-aware. We haven't been this self-aware, I don't think, um, ever in terms of like how many people are. I I really feel that way. I think we are, have overcome a lot of personal boundaries and I, I could be incorrect here, but I think self-awareness was like super rare in the, in like 10 years ago. I, I wasn't self-aware. I didn't know anybody who was, I may have known like one or two, but my parents definitely weren't. I wasn't. Um, <clears throat> I didn't realize like, Hey, I might be wrong here. Hey, my political beliefs might be incorrect. Hey, there's nothing wrong with being wrong. There's nothing wrong with kind of learning. There's nothing kind of wrong with kind of exploring your feelings and learning more about yourselves. And I feel like we're kind of entering some sort of renaissance with terms with, with that, especially with uh, like psychedelics and uh, marijuana like that. They're still getting used then people are learning more and more about them every day. And I feel like that's another thing that really helps people kind of look inward. And I'm not saying do drugs, I'm not, not saying that at all. I'm just mm -hmm. saying like that, 
like acid or in mushrooms, psychedelic drugs, they tend to make people look inward and kind of learn a bit more about themselves. All that stuff seems to go kind of hand in hand with the proliferation of the internet, you know, across the world where, you know, now we can actually communicate with a lot of other people that are outside our little sort of sphere um, where we are locally. That sort of helps break down those barriers and helps people become more empathetic like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, where you can talk to someone across the world with a very, very different viewpoint than yours and have a conversation. Yeah. No, it's it's really helpful, I think. I agree with you there. Like The internet really opened up the world for us to, to understand and be less ignorant. Well, we still are, but I think less so. I, I have faith in humanity. I think we'll we'll figure our stuff out. I don't think... Donald Trump's the end of the world. I don't think Joe Biden's some decrepit old man who's a pervert and likes little kids. I don't think any of the things that people kind of deliver are true. And I think a lot more people are kind of getting the gift, or maybe not gift, they've learned how to see beyond how people have started to, or how people have been marketing to them to kind of control and share their uh what's the word not editorial but kind of their narrative like everybody has a narrative and they want you to kind of follow their narrative but now that people have access to more information and they've with more experience they can kind of see through these things Mm. and my hope is that people kind of realize that as we learn empathy as we teach empathy and hopefully as we as a human race like just make that one of the things we teach in schools I think we might not have as many issues in terms of like this is this is just me saying this is just me talking out of my butt here but I don't think we're going to have issues with people kind of struggling with with oppression like they we have been think oppressive leaders who are focused on controlling and gaining more and more or serving themselves i think we'll see less of them as time goes on uh that is assuming we have all the appropriate you know voting rights in place and all of that and there is an actual shift uh, yeah. for improved mental and general health care um, we, we might be we might be up for another dark age we might i could be wrong but, uh, Things swung really far more towards the sort of extreme right, sort of more fascist, heavily conservative areas, which is me seeing, you know, and locally here in the U.S., in addition to Britain, in addition to, you know, Brazil. Um, you also have China and Russia starting to come up. And uh, China has made leaps and bounds recently um, since the Trump admin took power with uh, sort of their economic control over on the sort of Africa area as they're isolating India and a number of other places. There's actually a, a good book called The uh, the End of the Hegemony of the United States. I forgot the name of the book, but my brother owns it, and it's essentially the United States lost its hegemony once. It was, it was, it was going to happen. It just kind of happened a little bit faster due to kind of weak leadership on the worldwide scale from the United States. Uh, but I think that's neither here nor there. And kind of Getting jumping, a little off topic. Yeah, kind of jumping off, jumping off topic here. But there's nothing wrong with uh, 
I don't, I really, I really have faith in the human race. Like there, there's a lot of things that frustrate me, like the things with the riots going on. And like, I guess that'll, that'll kind of date this, like this recording, but, um, like last, you know, we had, we had the riots happen in, uh, Atlanta and, uh, Minneapolis, Phoenix, St. Paul, San Jose, literally like down the street for me where they're fucking stealing all the goddamn UPS packages. Los Back. Angeles. Yeah, no, I'm, did anybody get shot? Uh, not to mine. Well, there was a shooting, but it was unrelated okay. to mine. Okay. Good. It did, you know, just stay safe. I know it's kind of crazy right now. And I, I tend to play devil's advocate. And when I say play devil's advocate, I don't usually agree with people. I don't usually agree with anyone, which is kind of, I don't take sides. I don't like to take sides. I want to know what is right. And in the case of like the police are wrong. Um, yeah, police are people. I'm, 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 I don't, that was a point of frustration for, I, I think, where the It seems to be a common thing where uh, people in uniform are kind of downgraded to being nothing but that profession. Yeah. And that's always kind of frustrating. People don't realize, hey, teachers, they're people too. They have their own lives and dreams and all these yeah. other things. Same thing with police officers, paramedics, EMTs, firefighters, you know, doctors, nurses. Everyone's their own individual person. You know, right. they're not just their uniform. Well, prejudice isn't bound by race, but in the case of like racism towards blacks specifically, I would have to say like these rights kind of did have to happen. I know we're getting deeper into that subject, but I. I believe it was bound. It was, it, this is something that needed to happen. We needed to have this discussion. We needed to suffer through people breaking shit and calling out the officer. And I feel that they were heard um, personally, which, you know, people are never going to get what they want. It's never going to be enough for some people. Sure. But I think it's pretty historic for the officer who knelt on his neck to actually be charged with manslaughter and whether or not those charges go through court. We'll see. Yeah. They charged them with fucking lightning speed. They, they weren't going to charge them at first until the riots kept going. Well, typically it takes a while to actually process everything and do an IA investigation for to go through the whole rigmarole before they actually press charges on an individual and take them to court. Um, it seems like they jumped a few steps and went straight to the pressing charges part. Yeah. Which on one hand is good. On the other hand, I don't know how that will affect the case going forward. Because if all of a sudden they start skipping steps and that weakens the case of the prosecution or them trying to charge uh, the police officers with manslaughter. Um, I'm kind of curious how that'll you know, work out going forward and if uh, they will have the appropriate amount of evidence with the sort of tight front short time frame there yeah. in order to actually charge them to the folks under law. They're definitely pressured into it. I think by potentially the governor or the uh, governor, senator, president, potentially, I would actually assume the president had a hand in it. Which... Yeah, the president's calling to expedite an FBI investigation. How the fuck federal 
Bureau of Investigation is involved directly the, with a state or local matter is kind of beyond me. But they're not. They're not. That's not in their jurisdiction. It's not a federal offense. It's a state crime. So yeah. the state trooper should be handling it. If he, I think he just announced that to kind of, you know, placate certain people. I don't know if he actually did do that. And he's been known to fabricate the truth. That's an understatement. Yeah. Which I'm not going to shit on him as a, as a politician, but just he's not an honest person. And his track record isn't. I'm, I'm a registered Republican, but his track record is not something that I could call reliable. Mm hmm. That sounds like a topic for the next podcast. <laughs> we could do that. Thanks for uh, thanks for talking with me, man. I really appreciate it, and thank you for uh, for caring. It's I understand, like I get that, like you you were kind of scared, and I get the exhaustion. I was kind of scared that I frustrated you with everything. Um, so thanks for thanks for being here, man. Yeah, no problem. I'm glad you're okay, and I'm glad you're safe. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if I if I ever enter like a, a, a depressive episode, like I'm, I, I'll just announce it. I'll just say, "Hey, I'm feeling depressed today. I maybe I should go instead of eating this hearty taco meal of Taco Bell and drinking this Mountain Dew and getting myself and turning myself back into the gross fat guy I was." And undoing all of the ex all of the fitness process progress I made, maybe I should just eat a salad and meditate for a bit, or go for a run. Sounds good. You're among friends, so yeah. we're all here for you. No, of course, and it's always good to have uh, good people in in your life. And thank you for talking about it, because I know that's difficult and stressful a lot of the time to open up about. Something you're vulnerable. Yeah. I think, again, like I, I highly recommend checking out Brene Brown's research on shame and vulnerability. She, uh, I don't think I would have gotten to this point in my life if I had not kind of considered and read her work and focused on bettering myself and understanding my emotions and who I am internally. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for being here one last time, and everybody, thank you for listening. <laughs>